uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and friends beyond the binary and all my patron peeps. Thanks for keeping the show going, patrons. I couldn't do it without you. Like, really, you're helping me. I'm helping you. And it isn't a wonderful world when it works that way. Thank you. And let's get on with the show. Yeah, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble, getting to sleep, trouble, staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it the bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you could set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's thoughts, feelings physical sensations you know so so stuff you're thinking about or stuff you're experiencing or you know coming up for you you know but it could be travel it could be situational whatever's keeping you awake i'd like to take your mind off that i'd like to create a kind of safe place as i said where you could just you know sink in a little bit more and I guess be distracted Uh, like what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my voice across the deep dark night I'm going to use these lulling, soothing creaky dulcet tones Uh, pointless meanders Uh, believe me I've got uh, plenty of those I've got got an arsenal of uh, you know when it comes to to sleepy equipment I put the arson arsenal of uh, sleepy stuff uh, I don't know if you said, even I don't know. I said, should I chuckle at that or no? Uh, but uh, it, that's actually, well, anyway. Uh, yeah, but so, oh, some of those things would be at yeah, tangents, uh, superfluous dialogue. Uh, a lot of it at the beginning of the show, particularly right now, I'd be like uh, unresolved metaphors. I'm, I, I, I'm pretty sure I, I don't want to say I invented that. Uh, I'm just a pers- first person that, you know, isn't in an English major that's used uh, unresolved metaphors. Or this is the only place where it's like, it's not shade. You say, well, the book was full of unresolved metaphors. And you say, oof, that's, I mean, that was about as harsh as I said when you said Byron-esque. And uh, I didn't even know what that meant, but I know what unresolved, I think... Is the unresolved metaphor, is it anything like a simile that doesn't get finished? I know technically that one kind of did, but uh, you don't know. Are we in the midst of a metaphorical dialogue right now? Oh, no, it's imaginary dialogue. Wait, so there's a part of my internal imaginary makeup uh, that was an English major? Oh, wow. It must like, did you, because uh, that's great. I'd love to sit to, of all my family members, I think my brother Ken would probably make the best English major just because he has the ability to retain and discuss discrete things about novels that I don't necessarily possess, but I guess an imaginary part of me does. Oh no, you're, you said you're an English major, not a, not a, oh, you're you're not a good English, okay. What are we talking, like C plus? Not quite. Okay, well. Am I, do I pay? Is your tuition imaginary? And, and am I in charge of it? We have got one out of two of those. Okay, well, it's a, well, we'll see. Um, sorry, I got distracted there by uh, that. May be an unresolved metaphor. It's definitely be unresolved for me because I'm be like, who is this English major living in my uh, collective unconscious? 
Olivia or my collective imagine, imagination. Imagination. Oh, you started an imagination collective. Well, I thought you were an English major. Oh, like, uh, but you have other interests. Okay. That's cool. I mean, maybe you could write a novel. Okay, get back to the intro. Thanks. That was the most useful thing so far. Okay, so if you're new, uh, those are a couple of things that ways I'm going to kind of, t- I'm here to keep you company and to take your mind off of stuff. That's basically uh, the basics. It's structurally, what to expect with this show. That's when it can become different because this podcast is outside of the norms of all things. Yeah, even proper usage of words. Uh, I mean, proper use. <laughs> Not only does he have unresolved metaphors, he misuses his imagination. And I say, well, the nuns were telling me that. Believe me, they didn't even know what they, they didn't even know they had it right because I just giggled when they said, hey, "You, you, you misuse your man." And I say, "Oh boy, if you only knew, sister." Uh, I say, but, but uh, so uh, where was I? Um, so, okay, so if you're new, structurally what to expect. Your show starts off with a few minutes of business. Then we have an intro where I try to make a metaphor about the show. But really what the intro is, is your your chance to wind down or fall asleep. Or you can skip ahead. Usually around 18 minutes is the best place to skip ahead to. You'll be pretty close to the beginning of uh, the next portion of our show. But for the majority of regular listeners, uh, the intro kind of becomes part of their bedtime routine. Uh, and they use it as a wind down. Or as more and more listeners use it during the day, kind of just to, they say, well, I wonder what Scoots is doing. He's probably having trouble resolving his metaphors. And, you know, that'll be a distraction from this real world stuff for about 20, 30 minutes. So it's kind of like an anti-coffee break. Uh, because they, or maybe not, I don't know. If only I knew how, knew what the correct usage of that was, but I think you know what I mean. But, but so if you're new, give the show a few tries, especially with the intro. Cause you say, well, you're not making any sense. And I'd say, Oh boy, do you got, you got to write. And you say, by definition, you, you can't, uh, uh, you, you can't, well, I don't know if you can, can you, or can't you unresolve metaphors? And I'd say, well, have you ever seen me try to fix anything? Resolve that one. I think you. I think you'll see that there is a, like a, un, un, you'll find you're resolving in my unresolved issues. Uh, spin that metaphor just set me for a spin. It was like being. Yeah, you're right. Maybe I should have snuck a simile in there. You're right, cheap joke brain. Okay. Uh, I think I was in the middle of trying to make another point though. Uh, not needing to listen to me. Oh, give it a few tries. It doesn't make any sense. Um, oh, g- yeah, give it a few tries because a lot of people find they say, what are you talking about or whatever. But I'm just here to help and to take your mind off stuff. So so sometimes it takes a getting used to. And I'll come back to that. Then after that, t- tonight we'll, we'll have a bedtime story. And if you think this intro was off... Uh, this will be a tale of the tape episode where I try, I, have, I pick a movie I haven't seen in a long time uh, that supposedly some part of my like uh, nostalgia, whatever that, what, where's that, where's your nostalgia held? Is that, I don't know what organs in charge of the nostalgia, but whatever it is, uh, 
I try to go and I say, oh, you said this movie's really important to us, eh? Well, let's try to remember the plot of it. And that always goes very uh, interestingly. So I'll be trying to remember the plot of uh, The Legend of Billie Jean, which may not even be the name of the movie. Uh, and it'll be a very bedtime. You know, even if I if I remember anything exciting, don't worry, I'll steer my way around that. Uh, like a scooter on beach sand. And then the show will end with some thank yous and some good nights. There's some business between the intro and the bedtime story portion of the show. But really, the whole show is a bedtime story. It's just a little bit different. And also, if you're new, you don't need to listen to me. That's You could turn me, you know, listen. That's, that's why I also give a few tries because you say, well, I prefer to listen to Scooter where I can't hear what he's saying. I mean, I get, those reviews are very different. Like, there's some people that like to concentrate. And there's some people that like to lower me to a mumble. There's some people that like to slow the show down. And there's some people that just kind of listen and fall asleep. And then they listen all night long. Like uh, there's something about. So so find what works for you. And there's no pressure to fall asleep. That, that's the other key part about this show. I'm here to keep you company as you drift off. To take your mind off of stuff. It, to be here at your side. I'm your ally in the deep dark night because I've been there. Uh, so there's no pressure to fall asleep. That's why I make the shows over an hour or just over an hour. So you see how we got plenty of time. You could queue up episode after episode if you need to. Uh, so there's no pressure to fall asleep. Here's the other thing that's kind of new. There's also no pressure to like this show. Uh, and I, I want to fully lean into that in some sense. Uh, that like, there's no, uh, uh, there's like a, there's only upside. I, I really want to help you. And if you give it some tries and you don't, it doesn't work for you. Or you're already listening and you say, scoots, we're just not cut from the same jib or whatever. I say, well, I don't even know what a jib is, but I do know what a bib is. And I sh- if, if there was an adult bib requirement, uh, what would that be? A, 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 an a, ABR? I, they would have signed it for me. It's yeah, California passed its first ABR law, ABR 107, the adult bib requirement, just for a Drew, Drew Scooter. He's required to wear a bib from now on. And it's a great, that's a law I could get behind. And it's, you know, does it have the little catch thing that the modern bibs have, like the bib trough? And it's a, here, here's something, you know, I did see Gavin on a plane. On a regular plane, a Southwest flight, not that like during campaign season. And first of all, I spotted his hair, literally, at a four. I said, "Look, I thought it was a slut. I, I thought it was a, it was a flight to L.A." And I said, "There's got to be like an A-list celebrity on this flight because I, I all I saw was like, like a four-inch by four-inch patch of the hair in the crowd." And uh, he was on the flight, and I said, oh, man, that's uh, I got to respect that move. Uh, but uh, if you, I'd say thanks for pa- – oh, I was going to say Gav. Uh, oh, do, oh, yes, uh, uh, Governor, uh, Governor Newsom, uh, could, do you think I could, like, put, put, like, messages on the bib, though? Okay, well, we'll work that out. Great. Uh, I don't know where I was talking about before I came up with that adult bib requirement. Oh, some people might not like me. That's what I was saying. Or the podcast might not work for you. And I have a new thing, sleepwithmepodcast.com slash no thank you.
you know, there pretty simple. You'll find uh, other, some, some other sleep podcasts. You'll find some other audio that I've used in the past. And then if you do, you say, well, Scooch, you, you know, a strongly, it, the, the whole bib thing, uh, you can find options to kind of uh, channel that energy too. Uh, so I think that's it. I, I mean, I, I was I, ideally I thought I'd have some more things, but I'll, I'll be doing a lot of thinking about this. Uh, see, can I get a copy? Of, do I get a copy of that bill with the pen you signed it with? Since I'm the only person it applies to. Also, who who petition? Oh, my collective imagination petitioned, and they got it passed. Uh, wow, first bill passed. Uh, oh, it was a referendum. First referendum passed was a budget of zero. We, the people of the state of California, declare that uh, uh, the passage of ABR, the, the ABR, adult bib requirement, it could be altered though, right? It, you know, for other people. I didn't realize my, my, uh, well, I guess I did, I guess. So I guess that's it. Uh, if you're new, I really, honestly, I hope this podcast can help you. If you're a regular listener, I'm glad you're back. Uh, now you got something else to giggle about when you wake up tomorrow. You say, was Scooter talking about bibs again? I think he was. I think he was talking about, uh, he, he was talking about bibs he was going to design for English majors, lit majors, the book in a bib, he's going to call it. It's a new business he's launching with because he's required to wear a bib, some sort of marketing thing. And he also said it's great for exercise, uh, really uh, increases like one or two muscles uh, on your upper shoulder. It's called, yeah, booking a bib. And he thinks there'll be a big market for, um, you know, baby showers and stuff too. Yeah, booking a bib, a bib and a book. Yeah, that's the thing. So, you know, that's another idea. Also, that's my idea, by the way. So don't start taking it. You heard it here first, either either or either, bib in a book or book in a bib, or bibbity book, because that's what I'd say, bibbity bibbity book, uh, or bookity bookity bib. Lookity lookity, I've got a bookity in my bib. Uh, so anyway, I'm glad you're here. I really hope I can help you fall asleep. I'm a bit silly because I want to make bedtime feel a little bit less serious. But I'm serious about putting you to sleep. I work very hard. I strive in a year to help you fall asleep. And uh, thank you so much for coming by. Here's a couple of ways we keep the show going. All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, tonight's episode is another. This it's been. I think it's been a little while since I've done one of these. It's a tail of the tape episode. And normally, uh, usually these sometimes these are seasonal. But this happened to be. I'll kind of walk you through the structure, why, where, when this came up, and uh, and then, yeah, like, so structurally what I'll do is the, the, the tail of the tape episode is basically taking a movie I used to watch as a kid, and to some of you these will be movies you, you have no familiarity with, but and you could check out, in a movie I haven't seen in a long time, and then try to remember the plot of the movie, basically. It's a movie that had a great meaning to me when I was a youth. And say, well, Scoots, if that movie is so important to you, what happens in the movie? I say, well, good question. Mm. And I kind of found by accident that this structurally works. And then we kind of as we see how it unwinds. Uh, 
if we have time at the end, I'll kind of look up some facts about the movie or the plot and kind of some articles and see how it matches up. Uh, but to start with, I like to go in mostly with a little information. Though there has been times that, uh, yeah, like that hasn't worked out, but so, but that's the beauty of editing and pausing it. And here's the first thing I'll misremember, but this just happened yesterday was I was driving. It was coming back from a road trip and a song came on and now I can't think of who sang it, but it's an 80s song and it go, like it's uh, we are young, I think is the, uh, and there's a couple of songs, We Are Young, so this might not be the one you're thinking of. And it's not sang by, uh, oh, good boy. So this is already, maybe I'll think of who sang it. Uh, it's not Debbie Harry, uh, but it, it's uh, like, a, so, but it's an 80s songstress. Maybe Linda Ronstadt? No, probably not. I know who it is, like part in part of my brain, because this was literally yesterday. This song came on, and I said to myself, "This is a song from the movie Legend of Billie Jean, which comes up on the podcast." Uh, it was one of the movies I saw in my formative movie watching years. My formative, well, for like it wasn't my formative years. Becoming going from a boy to a man, I was still a boy because my my blooming was later than most. Uh, that's how, that's how I keep, you know, such a youthful, youthful attitude now. But so, uh, was it Linda Ronstadt? I don't know. It's not, um, who sings that other song? Really great song. Oh, uh, who sings the song that I used to make up a ton of parodies of it? I don't know. Like, I love rock and roll. I don't think it's that person either. That's Joan Jett. But you know what? You know I'm in that. It's somewhere in that ballpark. I'd say very Joan Jet esque, or if if the Linda if Linda Ronstadt is who I think it is, uh, you know I think t- t- today's today you'd call it power pop maybe. Uh, but so that was one of the songs from the movie, and it made me think this movie, The Legend of Billie Jean, and I have great fond memories of it. So we'll get into. Yeah, well, so we'll talk about it. I guess to start, yeah, let's just get, let's get to it, right? Okay, so The Legend of Billie Jean, I don't think I saw it in the theater because I was probably too young. Yeah, I'm almost positive of that. But then, like I've talked about on the show, there was this great period in my life where there was some special for HBO or whatever the package is that we had HBO in my house for like two years. And this is when I was exposed to a lot of things that would permanently impact my life in a positive way. Uh, not necessarily the news, kids in the hall, and I watched a lot of movies. Uh, probably, I think they were probably on during the day. Uh, but so, and we would either tape the movie or we just watch it over and over. So this movie, Legend of Billie Jean, and again, I don't know how it holds up, but it really is an interesting movie. Uh, zeitgeist-wise, uh, I, I think, and in a powerful way when you think about, well, how I remember storytelling, uh, but I think in some way, uh, it, it looks in my memory, I say, well, Jesus is really um, a, a forward movie for the 80s. And maybe not in what I'm exactly thinking. I'm thinking in, in, in some different ways, uh, uh, just because the 80s were kind of a time of... Uh, 
like vanilla ice cream only. And so you say, would you, would you prefer saltine crackers or vanilla ice cream? Even if you were talking subtextually, you'd say, well, I'd like French vanilla. Um, so I don't know. I guess I'm, 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 I'm mixing my metaphor, I'm mixing up my metaphors. But so, so whatever age I was, it was like a late grammar school, or what is it, what do people call it, uh, elementary school, grammar school age. And this movie, had it starred two Slaters, uh, Helen Slater and Christian Slater. And I believe this is probably Christian Slater's first film. And I think Helen had been uh, maybe in one or two movies, like in a starring role, but she was the star of the film. And it did have, like, a, I don't know all of the cast, uh, and I'm not like, a, but it did have Peter Coyote and, uh, oh boy, Yeardley uh, Yardley, uh, Yardley Smith, uh, who plays uh, Lisa Simpson, I think. Or maybe not. Maybe I'm, uh, but anyway, yeah, I may, I may be wrong. Uh, so I could be wrong on that one. Maybe, maybe huh. Maybe I'm almost positive she's a voice of one of the Simpsons. Maybe it's Marge, because I think uh, whoever plays Lisa Simpson was in another movie based on a TV show that's about to be rebooted. Uh, but I could be, you know, I've been wrong before. Also, uh, the actor who was also in Back to School, which must have come out before this, because they already had an affinity for him. Just because he was a relatable, uh, he, he's not the lead in this movie. He was a lead in that movie uh, because he's not like a big uh, hunky male. So I said I, I could relate to him. Uh, but it was the Slaters that uh, like uh, were the uh, features, I guess, of the film. Oh, did I see Peter Coyote was in it? He he kind of uh, uh, was in it, and then um, one of the. Uh, one of the secondary characters from uh, uh, Top Gun was in it. I want to say his name's Hobie Cat, but I think that's the name of like a pontoon, like a sailboat. Maybe his name is Hobie, though. Hubie was his name in the movie. I don't know. We'll look it up later. But so Helen Slater and Christian Slater, who I continue to have great affinity for, and particularly Christian Slater, he went on to be in uh, Gleaming the Cube not that long after this movie, which is another movie. I don't know if I watched it quite as many times. It, like, it was a movie I liked a lot. A couple of my siblings love it. And I think I would love it uh, if I'd watched it more. But I guess I just loved uh, this movie a little bit more than that. And I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I said... Uh, I mean, particularly, I'm proud of Christian Slater just because of, uh, like, he's interested in Mr. Robot, and he kind of had, like, a a career with a couple different lives uh, where he was uh, expected to go one way. Then he kind of had a period where he was a little bit absent, and then he came back in a different direction, and he was really good in The Contender. I think that was a movie which was like his kind of comeback. Uh, then, then I'm not exactly sure because I don't watch a lot of TV, but then I said, is that Christian Slater and Mr. Robot? Holy cow. Uh, but it may, I mean, it may, maybe Helen Slater's best known to people. I think currently is in Supergirl 
was originally in the movie Supergirl. I think it was also in the, um, was that one Superman TV show that was like a rom-con, uh, like, uh, Clark and Lois, maybe it was called, I, I don't know, uh, Lois and Clark, the new Superman. I think that's what it was called. Yeah. But so, um, what was my point? I don't, um, oh, I'm a big fan of the Slaters. That's, I guess what I would do, like, uh. So I guess we could talk about the movie now, if I could remember how it opens. Uh, and there is a bit of irony, because one of the focuses of the movie is a scooter. And this was back in the 80s. And so scooters in the 80s are different than they are today. They didn't have, uh, or probably at some point they did have the foot power scooters or the electric scooters that uh, people, especially in cities in America, yeah, you say, okay, well, you, you may, may be a subject that it, it brings up feelings for people. And at some point, like in the 80s and the 70s, uh, people had things called uh, mopeds, I think was what they're originally called. And when you would see romantic things like in Italy, people had scooters, which were like a, I don't know, lower powered, like a less than a uh, motorcycle. Uh, but still you could get around. And now that I'm kind of thinking of the opening images, I'm pretty sure this is just where I get a bit, bit mixed up. Uh, uh, but I'm pretty sure the opening images of the film were Helen Slater kind of returning home uh, from work, uh, like whatever her job was, in a beach town, like which I'd assume was like a service job in the beach town. Maybe they showed her working or getting off work. Yeah, maybe she worked in some cool beach-related thing. And then cruising and kind of seeing that she was a very, uh, like, well-liked uh, person, maybe. And then going back to a beach house, uh, which you say, well, what age range was? Then that's, that's another good question. And I'd say, I, don't, I honestly can't tell if... Uh, like in the movie, I'm trying to think if she was like the the adult, like maybe in her like uh, somewhere between 18 and 22. Uh, there didn't seem to be an adult uh, adult figure, but I could be wrong. But she goes back to the house and her brother's there, Christian Slater. Uh, she's Billie Jean. Her brother is maybe Pyatt, or is Pyatt one of the, um, I don't know, but... Uh, I can I can hear her saying it, uh, and she gets home, and I'm pretty sure right away it establishes that she's very close with her brother. She loves her scooter, but now I'm thinking that maybe her brother had a scooter. So this is one point where I'll just definitely admit I'm probably wrong. This is why it's the tail of the tape in my mind. But I'm almost positive I could see her on a scooter, right, uh, in the opening of the movie, cruising and driving along. Uh, though I could also be remembering uh, the mo- a movie uh, with Linda Hamilton and maybe getting Linda Hamilton from a movie she was in with uh, the governor. And she's, I, I, okay, I probably am. I'm probably picturing Linda Hamilton riding back on her scooter. Um... Uh, to to her house, uh, 
in, in equating that with Helen Slater. So that could be, this is where the tail of the tape, you know, you say, well, those tapes were, uh, yeah, we, we dubbed over that and accidentally, you know, we had to, this was back when you had to use a VCR. Uh, but so the movie opens with Helen Slater. We'll just say that. Then we see her brother, maybe Pied, uh, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, then we find out that, uh, like, uh, the, the, her brother, uh, Christian Slater, uh, he, his pride and joy is this, his scooter that he saved up uh, all his money for and uh, really loves. Uh, and then, very quickly, I guess, you know, to keep the action moving, maybe the other characters are established, which are two friends, neither of which is name I'm going to remember, uh, but one, two young women that are, uh, I guess, uh, friends or na- and neighbors, and I don't remember the names. One had longer hair, one had shorter hair. One was properly played by Yeardley uh, Smith or whatever, whoever's name, and the other actress I, don't, I just honestly don't know. But those were the two friend characters. I don't know if there was any other friend characters. There is definitely isn't that I'm remembering. Uh, but, like, uh, so what, what happens next is uh, we learn that, uh, like, something happens with Christian Slater's scooter. And what was the case? I, I thought of that dude's name. It ends up that it's this, uh, maybe his name's Pyatt? No. What's his name? Hobie? That's the actor's name. Hubie? Maybe that was his name. In the, maybe that's his real name. Maybe he's Pyatt. I don't know. But it, it, this this total surfer bra, no offense to anybody out there, just this is a character of it, character caricature. Yeah, he gets like a. I don't know if he was jealous of uh, Christian Slater's scooter or what, but uh, they uh, like uh, borrow it, I think, and uh, uh, like or something, and, and the scooter gets totally ruined. And they think it's all a big thing because this kid is rich, uh, also. And also, uh, Christian Slater's feelings, more than his feelings, get hurt. Uh, and I think he goes to try to um, stand up to them, and they say, well, we didn't do anything, you know. And at some point, that's when Peter Coyote gets involved. Uh, uh, he's like the, 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 the town sheriff, like the beach town sheriff. And he kind of says, what's going on here? And they said, well, we don't know. Somebody is like, it's a mystery. And he kind of stuck like, uh, you know, within the bounds of his profession. He says, huh, but Helen Slater, Billie Jean is not having it. So she goes up to this, uh, maybe he is Pied or is he Hubie? I don't know. But she goes to him, the surfer, and she says, you got to pay for this. And he goes, no. Now her, his dad and him own some store. Uh, that, uh, like, sells trinkets to tourists, so, you know, overpriced T-shirts and stuff like that. So she goes to the dad, and she says, your son destroyed my brother's scooter, and he needs to pay for it. And he says, no, I didn't, Dad. You know, no, she's lying. And Helen Slater says, no, and, you know, this is like, you know, you'll pay for it. 
And the dad is played by an actor that usually plays like slime balls. Uh, and so, you, but he says, sure, I'll pay for it. And then what happens is quickly becomes apparent that this, he doesn't intend to pay and puts like uh, Billie Jean in a position where she further has to assert right and wrong and uh, her boundaries. So then I don't know what happens next, except that, uh, like, this was before Christian Slater was in the movie. Like, uh, was he in that movie? Right? Like, uh, Young uh, young Cowboys, I think it was called, uh, with Billy the Kid. But even in this movie, he fantasizes about being a Billy the Kid-type character. And so at some point he gets involved and he pretends he's Billy the Kid. So I don't know if they take the money, which which was rightfully theirs, and in like Billy Jean's uh, like uh, saying, you know, hell no, uh, to the to the dad. But uh, I don't know. I think it, it, it goes like uh, I don't know. It quickly goes like uh, awry because of Christian Slater uh, pushing everything up a notch, and they have to bail. Uh, and, uh, like, uh, oh, yeah, so I think, oh, yeah, because the, 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 the dad of the, 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 the main sleaze, he bumps his elbow, and he says, oh, I bumped my elbow because your brother uh, bumped into me or something, you know, the usual, uh, and so they have to bail, and I don't know if they got any, I guess they didn't get any of the money, yeah, but they still have to bail out of there. Because at this point, it's like the, the town rich guy and his bratty son. And so they bail. They go back to their neighborhood. Maybe they lived in a, like, a, I guess they did live in a trailer park. Because maybe that makes sense. Uh, like a trailer park near the beach. It just because they say, well, that'd be the, like, a, like for the, makes sense with the two of them. And they're just closest to their neighbors. Also, Okay. Now I'm remembering a couple other things. Uh, but basically what they do is they, they they start packing up, the two of them, because they know they're going to get busted soon. And then their two best friends are like, what are you guys doing? Why are you so worried? Maybe they were even hanging at the house uh, or at their, their, uh, yeah, at their place. And they say, no, no, we got to get out of here. They ask the one friend with the shorter hair, can you drive us somewhere? Because uh, we got to get out. And she says, sure. And the, the two friends are like, we're coming with you. And, you know, the one friend, she's younger, she, with longer hair. She's kind of like uh, wanting to get away anyway. And so then they all end up, uh, like, going, uh, like, they're forced to this call to adventure. Uh, but they go on this call to adventure. And they pack up a car, a station wagon. Now... This is where I guess my memory gets mixed up. Whether the um, the the station wagon was a station wagon for uh, um, what's that place called? Mini golf, or if they go and they spend the first night, or maybe this is just a dream of mine. I mean, it is a dream of mine. Uh, the first place they go to hide out is like a mini golf place uh, that I guess would be closed down, maybe because it's the end of the summer. I don't know, but that they're hiding out inside a mini golf place. I mean, that would make sense that there is a mini golf place, or if they're just hiding out in the, um, in the, uh, what do you call it, uh, 
the, the station wagon, and it's just full of mini golf balls. Uh, but so I'm not sure about that. But uh, at some point they hide out, and then it suddenly it becomes like this big deal. Like uh, because the dad, I think the dad puts up his own reward for busting Billy Jean. Because the police, Peter Coyote's like, okay, we'll catch, I mean, whatever, like, uh, and the dad's like, no. So he kind of makes, like, a, a big reward uh, to catch Billy Jean. And this is one aspect of it that it was like, uh, like uh, this would be the rest of the movie uh, becomes what people now call going, going viral. Like, over the whole rest of the movie, it becomes the legend of Billy Jean that, uh, yeah, she becomes a viral. I don't exactly remember how, though. Like, I remember, like, what happens next is, like, they go to, like, 7-Eleven and get food. They talk a lot, and you really establish that the four of them care for one another. Uh, so there's that part. Then, uh, they tr- like, they have to keep hiding out. So then, somehow they end up uh, trying to sneak into this house, uh... Yeah, and I don't know how they decided that or where, like, like a really fancy mansion or something that they said, oh, nobody's here. Uh, it's just a rich, rich person's beach house or something with a nice pool. So they go in there. What they don't realize is the guy that was the actor from, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, back to school lives there, and he's kind of like a, a recluse and an introvert. And so then, you know, there's like some rising action, but it's more of like a, a misdirect. And he says, oh, I know who you are. And then for some reason, it just happens that the movie, like a Joan of Arc movie's on. So they watch a Joan of Arc movie. And Billy Jean's thinking about like how, how, how like uh, there's been already two levels of injustice uh, or three levels. Uh, I mean, literally at the hands of the patriarchy. I mean, uh, in the like especially the upper class, uh, you know, patriarch and his son, you know, future patriarch. Yeah, and and it, and it was all done in a kind of a straightforward. I mean, I think like. In, without trying to bury it in subtext, and, and I think that was a good, like, I don't know, that's what I'm surprised for the 80s was that part of it. Uh, well, one part was I was surprised, yeah, that it wasn't like, uh, like, for me, whatever grade I was in, I was like, oh, okay, I get this, I get the message, and it's being delivered for, to me in a straightforward way, but not spoon-fed not spoon to me at the time. But again, it might just, I don't know if it stands up to time. Uh, but another thing I thought was great was uh, the casting, um, because I really thought, and again, this is just my memory, is that the friend, like the four leads, uh, were even though I don't remember everybody's names, were uh, like the friendships were very believable, and that it wasn't like like I mean I realized they were all act- actors and actresses. Uh, but that they weren't professionalized. Like, there's something about profession. Like, uh, like the more people get into get into acting at a young age, uh, the harder it becomes for, to to get good uh, 
performances from child uh, actors and actresses. I mean, I don't know if you know what I mean, but like you see movies uh, where every kid, I mean, I guess this would be a little bit younger. These were like uh, high school to young adults, uh, but the performances were, at least at the time, I found them very relatable and believable. And without being like, uh, like they, they seem like real people. And so, so they're staying at this uh, guy's house, and I think there's a ticking clock, maybe because his parents are coming home or something in a day or two. And they watch Joan of Arc. He kind of tells uh, Billy Jean that, uh, like, he believes in what she's doing. Then she kind of goes into this introspective mode. Uh, also, the younger, long-haired character, she she uh, experiences her own personal change in growth. And then, uh, so Billie Jean's in her own uh, kind of figuring introspective mode, but also like a planning mode in an accepting mode of her, uh, like needing to be, to stand up. But also to get this counter message out, uh, because this uh, patriarch dude was like, uh, like just you know, I'm going to put up a reward because uh, Billie Jean's a jerk. And so she cuts her hair. I guess that was another point of the movie was that she had long blonde hair, and that was part of her identity up until this point. So she sees Joan of Arc. Uh, she cuts her hair. Also, they didn't have any change of clothes, so she was wearing, like, at some point they all go swimming, which I think probably happened earlier. And there's a water slide from uh, the kid's bedroom into the pool from the second floor, which was, like, this dramatic and cool thing. Um, But so she cuts her hair. She, like, uh, gets this, like, um, uh, like some sort of... um, what is that called? A wet. She starts wearing a, a wetsuit top, uh, which just like makes her look cooler. And then the guy tells her about the power media. Like I think they had like a like there's like a 25 minute Marshall McLuhan like think piece in there that wasn't even resolved. They were like, "Well, is it you know?" And he said, "Well, now we have these cameras. We can get the like it, 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 this would have made sense on the internet because this doesn't make sense in the movie." But at this point, for me, my my belief was suspended or whatever, my disbelief. Uh, but so they, uh, she films this thing where she says, uh, here's what really happened. Or, or I'm going to, like, uh, or, or she says, let's settle this, like, uh, like it's two honest people. She says to the dude's father, like, I'm willing to settle this. You pay for my brother's scooter or something like that, uh. And she sets a time again, like, I'll meet you here. I think that's what happens, because then it becomes this, and she also makes a speech where she says, fair, fair is fair, which is basically like, uh, your son damaged my brother's scooter, needs to be replaced. Now you're making up all this BS uh, to cover your and your son's tracks, uh, uh, you know, and car, karma's coming. Now, meanwhile, because of this, the, 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 the father figure trying to hype all this, uh, it becomes even more hyped. And uh, what happens is uh, 
Like everything becomes viral. Like Billy Jean becomes viral in this positive way. Uh, the dad keeps hyping up uh, his reward, and she really does become this legend. Uh, and she goes this inspiration for people standing up uh, to old white dudes. I mean, basically, and just a lake of like a self, uh, self, uh, like self actualization. I don't know if that's what it is. Like uh, a bit of standing up for yourself and saying this is wrong. If, if fair, I don't know if it's fair means fair. Yeah, I think it's fair means fair. So, you know, they have some montages of them. Wait, there's another point where they go somewhere to eat and they meet a bunch of kids uh, who know who they are. Maybe they go to a party. I don't know if that was, it must have been after the video came out. Or they go somewhere. Yeah, but I think they went to a pizza place, they got free pizza. And uh, maybe a bunch of other free stuff. Uh, maybe they went to a store. And the kids that ran the store said, oh, well, my parents own the store. Like, uh, maybe something like that. So so they start to get, like, this uh, groundswell of support for Billie Jean. And again, it might seem tropey, but then even the dad uh, starts to capitalize, selling Billie Jean T-shirts uh, because he, he like, uh, to exploit, like, uh, like to commercially exploit her uh, her rebellious image. And I think then a radio station even offers uh, to give them a scooter. That's in the brothers. Like, well, we should just take a scooter from the radio station. And they say, Billy Jean, just come get the scooter. It's waiting for you. And Billy Jean's like, No, uh, we're we're getting the uh, we're, we're you know we're getting the scooter. Then I think the dad even I don't know if it's a dad or somebody else erects this giant like paper mache, but a 20-foot statue of Billie Jean. Yeah, there must have been another, like, plot twist, but at some point they have to go down to the beach now. At this point, it's viral, so there's tons of people at the beach waiting for It's like Billie Jean Day, like Legend of Billie Jean. We see everybody's, like, it's become a fashion, she's become a fashion icon. And then, of course, like, the hype of that Billie Jean's, like, a, like, a, subversive force because of the, the dad. Uh, so there's a lot of, like, Peter Coyote stuck in the middle. And uh, also the two friends get dropped off with Peter Coyote. He says, okay, what's going on? They say, nothing. Billie Jean just, like, uh, but then, it, like, Peter Coyote loses, like, jurisdiction. So that becomes this whole big thing. And then they say, well, will you meet with her, like, the dad, uh, yeah, like, and then we'll just, you know, then we'll bring her in or whatever. Or, or are you really going to give her the money? And, of course, the dad, he's like like slime. So uh, I can't remember what he does, but he says, oh, yeah, I'll give her the money, you know, and then you can bust her and then give me my money back or something. Or, no, he refuses to. So Peter Coyote has to put up the money maybe. Yeah, so, but I don't know. So they basically it all culminates at the beach meeting. And the dad pulls some stunt at the very end, and it ends up like, uh, uh, I don't know, it ends up like with this very dramatic ending. Uh, I don't even, like, uh, where, I think the dad hopefully gets, and his son get busted. Uh, Billy Jean's kind of shown, I don't know, maybe he tried to turn the tables on Billy Jean one last time. 
But she kind of says, uh, well, this is exactly, I think you like in the court, like right in front of everybody, she says, well, this is exactly what happened. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. Then the dad pulls something that was stunting one last time. Then Christian Slater bumps his elbow. I think just because uh, the dad pulled something. So then Christian Slater bumps his elbow. Peter Coyote's trying to keep everything calm. Then everybody worries about Billie Jean. Then her statue gets knocked over. And the dad, uh, all his uh, merchandise gets wet, like a giant wave comes in, basically. And he takes out his merch tent, which is great. And he said, no, no, I'm losing my Billie Jean T-shirts. And I think that's how it ends. But let me look up some stuff uh, just to get some facts here. Because I really don't think I'm doing the movie justice. Uh, so it's two, uh, let's go to um, Wikipedia first. Uh, yeah, so it came out in 1985. Made $3.1 million at the box office. What rating was it? I don't see what rating it was. Uh, yeah, let's see. Ride, rides uh, with her younger brother on his Honda Elite 150 to go swimming. And Hubie Pied, uh, uh, they, they, uh, they, oh, they, oh, they wanted to live in Vermont too. That's how it ends. Uh, yeah, but Hubie takes the scooter. And, oh, the friends' names are Putter and Ophelia. And they, she goes to, to, to Peter Coyote, but he says, uh, just wait till the scooter comes home with your, your brother. It's just kid stuff. Uh, yeah, then Billy Jean tries to go get the money. Then uh, Binks is a brother, you know, uh, escalates everything. Mr. Pie bumps the shoulder. Uh, then Peter Coyote, Detective Ringwald, realizes he should have intervened earlier. Yeah, Billy Jean just, you know, now Billy Jean's like, yeah, Mr. Pied has to own up. Uh, oh, yeah, so uh, then they meet Lloyd, who's, uh, oh, wow, he's, uh, okay, so there's an extra layer with the video. And Lloyd, because his dad is the DA. Yeah, but they still film the video and everything. The Billy Jean becomes a teen icon, young fans follow every movement. Uh, she brings Butter and Ophelia back. Uh, Ringwald. Uh, oh, they cover like they use a bunch of uh, Billy Jeans for distraction. Well, now it says Mr. Pyatt puts out the uh, reward. Uh, maybe that's where the culmination is. Her and her brother go undercover. Uh, then her cover gets blown. Yeah, Binks bumps his shoulder. Uh, Billie Jean gets uh, Mr. Pyatt's, gives Mr. Pyatt's his, his, his deserved comeuppance. And everyone saw it, uh, everyone sees it, and, uh, oh, and then they take out his store. And then later, Billie Jean and Binks are headed uh, to Vermont, uh, and Binks looks after Red Snowmobile. Okay, so I did remember it, uh, Let's see, soundtrack. In, Invincible was Pat Benatar. Uh, did I say Pat Benatar? I don't think I did. Uh, we will be invincible. We are young. Uh, but it's Invincible is the name of the song. 
Okay, so let's look at rotten tomatoes. Like, uh, see how I did there. On the tomato meter, it got 40%, but the audience score is 75%. Let's just see if there's any um, critics we know. I don't see any famous critics here on the first page. Let's just dig deeper. I'm trying to find actual, like, reviews around when it came out. Not seeing anything earlier than 2005. So we'll skip that. And Film School Rejects actually has a, a post about watching. Well, it's, I'll read it. Uh, 28 Things We Learned from the Legend of Billy Jean Commentary. Uh, let's see a paraphrase. There's a lot of talk recently about the lack of uh, female superhero films and great ones in particular. But one of us is uh, one of the people who missed out on Stars Helen Slater, and it's not Supergirl. It's a Legend of Billie Jean. And, you know, has sidekicks and nemesis and a catchphrase, uh, fair is fair. Not fair means fair. Okay, so let's see. It, uh, the story and character beats Silver Fun and Excitement, set to a catchy 80s soundtrack, uh, roster of familiar faces, Christian Slater, Yardley Smith, Peter Coyote, Keith Gordon, and Dean Stockwell, and the dude from uh, Top Gun. And, the, oh wow, I might have to watch, I might have to find this on DVD, Helen Slater and uh, Yardley Smith are the commentators, uh, yeah, Yardley Smith says uh, she still gets approached by people who ask, uh, who quote, uh, because she was trans, she became a woman in the movie. Like it was, she had her first period, and it was, just, it was a big deal for the, her character. One of her catch lines is, "When do, when can I get a diaphragm?" Uh, Helen Slater's first comment uh, is that Christian Slater is not actually her brother. Holy cow, holy cow. She says people always assume they're related, uh, to which I can only reply guilty as charged. Oh, that's like uh, uh, the thing. I thought they were related, too. Holy cow. Uh, they uh, Both character, both actresses joke about their terrible southern accents. Uh, uh, they said it was it might have been hard for Christian Slater because uh, the three actresses kind of hung out, but he didn't have anyone that was his age. He was 15. And he had to go to school during it. Yeah, let's see what else. Uh, they were like, uh, the film was rewritten a lot of times, uh, so much so that the original writer, Walter Bernstein, was ended up uncredited. Uh, they both liked working with Peter Coyote. Uh, there's like... Uh, Oh, it's PG-13. Uh, there's a lot of F-bombs. They said they were surprised. Uh, and the, because uh, Helen Slater was like, maybe my daughter's going to watch this. Uh, I don't think it's okay to swear. Uh, they talk about Richard Bradford, who may be the uh, dirtbag in the movie, the dad. Uh, uh, they talk about the other actress, Martha Garam. Uh, they also had to do, Helen had to do a lot of shots in a wig because, uh, reshoots after her hair was cut. Uh, Smith still has the stuffed bear that her character loved in the movie. Oh, they were shooting, uh, this movie when Supergirl came out and they, some of the cast went to see it on opening day. 
Um, they shot it in Corpus Christi, Texas, and that's where it's uh, set, uh, and that they would go to the mall during their time off during shoots. Uh, Helen said that it was cool because there weren't malls in New York City. Uh, let's see, Yardley Smith was 20 in the, when when she shot the movie. Her character was 14. Uh, let's see, both were watching the film for the first time in a long time. And Helen seemed very taken with the various themes woven for through the simple plots. Uh, she comments on the power of media, truth, and betrayal through the whole film. Uh, while talking about the writer uh, Bernstein's uh, struggle, Ellie uh, Jean's transition from long to short hair happened off screen. Uh, talk about the haircut. Uh, let's see. Uh, they have a jo- Smith's most regrettable scene is Putter's first period. Um, Smith's asks Helen if Keith Gordon was a good kisser. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember that scene. Smith asks Helen. Oh, I guess Keith Gordon is the, um, you know, he must be the, uh, the guy from, sorry, sorry, Keith. Keith, Keith Gordon is the actor that, uh, was in, uh, I can't remember the other movie. Uh, back to school. Uh, she, Helen says she still gets fans, uh, people that approach her, uh, referencing this film more than any other. Uh, let's see. Butter's uh, haircut protest scene initially called for Smith to cut her incredibly long hair, but she resisted or protested. So she wore a wig. The big beach finale strikes both actors as a mystery. Neither remembers what happens. Uh, same here. And then they remember that Christian Slater's wearing a dress. Uh, yeah, they regret not keeping any swag from the movie. Uh, Helen wishes she, she kept uh, some of the Frisbees they had. Uh, but they said the one item Helen did keep was a sweater from the last scene in Vermont. And the final uh, thoughts from Film School Rejects. After seeing it in three, like uh, three decades ago, it became one of those movies that I never sought out but would watch again uh, on the rare occasion I came across it on TV. But since picking up the new Blu-ray, I've watched it twice more, once to re- reacquaint myself and once with the commentary. And both viewings were, were good fun. Uh, commentary shows Slater and Smith in good spirits, even though as they humorously struggle to remember the movie they're commenting on. Uh, they recall plenty of small details, but Henry having them wonder how the movie ends priceless. Uh, well, I'm glad I'm not alone. But it, and it sounds like it stands up, so definitely a movie to check out. I guess it's like on the, the R side of PG-13 as far as language goes, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like... Uh, Yeah, it was a movie I watched a lot as a kid. Uh, Thanks, and uh, good night.